Hi, listeners. Welcome back to The Writer's Show, the podcast about indie writing and publishing. Let's cut right to the chase today. I'm talking to indie author David R. Shorens, who has written a book about the dark side of the Washington January 6th riots. It's called Refuge, and in it he imagines a presidential coup that actually succeeded. What would that look like? Turns out, not good. David has written a chilling alternate history political horror story, and the action is set not in big politics Washington, but in a small Canadian border town. Okay, on with the show. This is David R. Shorens and his new book, Refuge. Glad to have you on the show, David, um, and congratulations. Oh, thank you with, very much, Jeff. Congratulations uh, with the book Refuge. Um, what inspired you to write Refuge? Was there a particular event or idea that sparked the creation of the novel? For me, there was always an underlying desire to do, to write something. Uh, that's been with me for a long time. Well, now that I retired from teaching... I needed to find something to do, and this kind of fell into place. The specific story, uh, you could say, was inspired by current events in the United States. Uh, the last, let's say, six or so years have been interesting. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, Take for, let me ask you a question about that. On January 6th, 2021, I know how I felt watching it live happen in my country that a mob was assaulting the Capitol. Mm. And I asked this of a Canadian reporter, I'll ask it of you. How did you react to that? Um, appalled. You're in the United States. Appalled, but it, it it seemed to be the logical endpoint for the previous four years. So um, everything leading up to that event, but yeah, mostly appalled. Yes, a little nervous, perhaps, of where and uh, your ally is headed, perhaps. You know, um, and so from those events, uh, I started with a story a couple scenes in mind, and it developed over time, a few hours this day, a few hours the next day. And I wound up with a story where I took a very peaceful place, uh, the U.S.-Canadian border between the state, of, U.S. state of Maine and the Canadian province of New Brunswick, specifically two little towns that are close to each other, right across the border from each other on kind of a, a north, north uh, uh, easterly axis across the St. Croix River. There, I think the two towns are separated by only about 11 kilometers as the crow flies. <clears throat> They're very similar. St. Andrews, New Brunswick is a well-known resort community, beautiful little place. Uh, if you ever happen to be in town, there it is. You go yeah. to it. You have a good, a good weekend there. And uh, Eastport, Maine, is 
an emerging uh, tourist town, but it's primarily a fishing uh, village, a uh, fishing town yeah. that uh, is very picturesque Maine and kind of left behind. Uh, both towns are about the same size and population. Both towns have their same economic struggles. And along that border area, you have a lot of people who they would travel in years past across the border very casually. Uh, there's a long history of that, of shared friends, shared family, shared culture. Yeah. And so what a better place to start trouble. And, and so I imagine that, you know, uh, the people who were behind that atrocity of January 6th somehow got power. Not that day, but just they had an election and, you know, they win by hook or crook, by voter suppression or propaganda and the use of political violence. And they win. Now, that sets up an immediate conflict between two little towns, Eastport and St. Andrews. Yeah. Where, the, let's say the Canadian Prime Minister uh, objects to the new president of the United States and says some things that angers that new president, who I never name. And um, that new president is rather thin-skinned. Uh, gee, that never happens, does it? And so uh, a developing conflict pursues. And I don't look at it, I don't take the reader through the halls of the Pentagon or the Oval Office or into the Canadian Parliamentary uh, Building. I, create, I created characters who are in Eastport or in St. Andrews. Yeah and see how they develop uh, with this. Uh, a group of American dissidents who have left the United States, who've taken up residence in St. Andrews, and an American military officer, specifically a lieutenant in the United States Coast Guard, who now is commanding, for some unspoken reasons, he's commanding a small Coast Guard station. You know, where they have the rescue boats. Yeah. Um, at in a Eastport, Maine. There's an actually, there is a real station there. I actually brought them a copy of my book. And uh, I'm a former Coast Guard officer from uh, more decades than I want to count ago. And uh, I put some of my experience into their story. And so I let the whole thing develop. Uh, and um, uh, there's a couple surprises in it, I hope. It's a clever, clever device. Um, locating everything within those two towns. You, Thank you. The, the novel's described as a mix of dystopian thriller, military, spy, and political genres. How did you yeah. manage to blend all those elements into one story? Uh, purely by accident, I think. But uh, the Happy military stuff. Yeah. Uh, the mil the military stuff comes with the character of Lieutenant Doug Miles, the Coast Guard officer. Um, and I work into him some of my own experiences. And 
the spy stuff is because I also have a character who is with the Canadian Security Intelligence Service working out of Fredericton. And uh, his job has changed from watching, let's say, the uh, adversaries of NATO to more watching an emerging adversary to his south in the United States. Um, and he approaches, you'll see, they, the two characters, for example, interact. Uh, the uh, the C, uh, CSIS, excuse me, agent, he works with the dissidents and so forth. So there's a little, like, uh, kind of spy stuff. <laughs> and the dystopia is a United States that's lost in any practical sense. It's yeah. Republic. You've, you've also called it novel political horror. Can you elaborate on yeah. what this term means to you? It's a great term. Well, it's, well, thank you. You know, it's, uh, it was sort of my uh, almost uh, tongue-in-cheek uh, effort to create a new uh, genre. And, um, you know, after the last guy, the what our current president calls the former guy, uh, after the experience of watching all that happen through the news and everything, oh, if it happens for real again, they just might be better at it. And I just shudder to think of how that will affect our lives in ways we probably can't calculate just yet, and yeah. as well as the lives of people worldwide. Uh, so, yeah, there's a certain horror to that. And so I thought I was just going to be cute and put the two words together. Yeah, of course, it's a story of a national election broken by laws and political violence and one-party autocracy. How did you approach yeah. writing about such a sensitive and potentially controversial topic? Uh, I just went ahead and did it without trying to think too deeply about the people I might offend. And I wasn't, you know, I knew that when the end product, when the product was done, that there would be people, this would not be this, their cup of tea. They might object to it. Although I don't mention the name of either political party. Yeah. I use a euphemism to describe the president and so forth. Um, I'm just, uh, replaying basically events we've already seen yeah political violence well that's pretty obvious um and there's all you know also a great deal of concern about that uh, there's also the character of the unnamed new president as qualities of some of the right-wing guys we see in this country now um although not attributing to any specific person and I just sort of like, okay, I'm just going to do this. And I just started writing and off it went. And I come up with the improbable thing of actual oh, con conflict between the United States and Canada. You know, if I had written this thing 10 years ago, people would go, ah, yeah. you know, this is crazy. <laughs> this is crazy. Well, it's not, not so crazy anymore. Uh, crazy um, happened. <laughs> That's a very good way of putting it, Jeff. Crazy happened. And 
the crazy has taken on a life of its own. I mean, just in this weekend, this past weekend, the United States was getting ready to default on its debt, on the bills that's already been incurred. That has never happened before. I, you know, I'm, I'm really getting sick and tired of hearing the word unprecedented. Yeah. But uh, it seems we hear that a lot in, a, uh, in the States now. I'd like to go back to boring. Boring is dependable. Routine <laughs> is dependable. You know, it's safe. Do you think uh, there's much of a chance of a, a, a former president we may not name yeah. getting an act? <laughs> it's like Baltimore. getting an act two. You know, there's a lot of time between now and then. A lot of things could happen. I think that you could never write him off. Only at your peril could you write the man <clears throat> who will not be named off, because. Things can always happen. The unexpected happens. Uh, That's true. I know there's a, a lot of legal trouble, but you just it. You just am shy about predicting a future after the last six years, yeah. where things have happened, even through looking at it through the television, that you'd never thought you'd see. You know. And I've seen, take for example, um, most Americans would probably take it as a given that our military ranks or military officers would be loyal to their oath. I've reason to doubt that. Uh, you see too many politicians who uh, claim, you know, service in the U.S. military, and. Um, who seem to have forgotten that part about preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. Um, that, like Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, for example, who is a Rhode Islander of all people, mm. who is leading some very far, far, far right rallies around the country. And uh, there was another guy who was running for Senate in, no, governor in Pennsylvania, a retired colonel. Um, so at one point in the book, I start to question how would military officers react to that? They're supposed to be like neutral. You know, we don't talk politics. Uh, I've got a great friend of mine who's a retired Air Force Major General who deliberately said every day, I just do not pay attention to that stuff. I can't. That's not my job. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah we just seem to have too many. I don't know. Is it right? They can. You know, choose their political spectrum after retire. You know, after they retire, they're not on active duty. But uh, it worries me that you see a number of them who are uh, choosing that kind of far right attitude. Sometimes they get defeated. Sometimes they get elected. Uh, so it's it, that's that works its way into a bit of the the novel too. That's why the character of Lieutenant Doug Miles is there. Also, just to wonder, could a serving officer serve an autocratic government? How did, how did your own military background influence the creation of characters? There's two characters, Mike and Debbie. Why not both retired U.S. Air well, officers, for example? Yeah. Um, well, 
Doug Miles, Coast Guard, I was Coast Guard. And I was involved in coastal search and rescue. Okay. That being said, actually my wife is a retired Lieutenant Colonel, uh, US Air Force Medical Corps, she's a mm -hmm. physician. And so as the spouse, I got to meet a number of people in the Air Force too. So Mike uh, and Debbie came out of that experience yeah. too. Uh, and I knew an Air Force intelligence officer, so a little bit of mm -hmm. him came into it. Uh, and then it was just some imagination and you know a collage of different uh, stories, sea stories, you might say, from uh, some of the people that I met. Uh, and uh, even uh, part of our trip, you know, through the U.S. military uh, was also my wife was assigned to Germany for a total of seven years, where I was known on base as the dependent husband. I'm not sure if that was a compliment or what, but <laughs> it was described me. I guess I was kind of breaking new ground. Uh, and, you know, you just meet people from all over the NATO allies and everything. So it was, it was fun. And some of that I'd mentioned, you know, a little homage to the base there, Gallenkirchen. So you, you mentioned that the horror of this story is its plausibility. How do you hope readers yeah. will respond? Uh, I can tell you what a few readers have told me. It scared them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, they, they use that word independent. I didn't suggest that. They just seem to be scared. And, uh, you know, whether everything, obviously it's a work of fiction. It's would all the predictions made of that book come true? Oh, maybe a few things will be off and God, I hope the big thing is way off. You know, uh, there was a book written in the 1930s uh, by Sinclair Lewis. Uh, it can't happen here. Uh, yes. Uh, you've heard of it. Good. Yeah. Because yeah. most Americans haven't heard of it. Mm. And, uh, you know, it takes that quick little phrase, it can't happen here. And it's like, oh, yeah, don't worry. Everything will be fine. It'll all work out. Uh, and Sinclair Lewis tried to shatter that. And he, he did for its time. But fortunately, his story, his story did not become history. And uh, I would like this book, as fun as it was to write, and I'd love to see a million copies sold and all that kind of crap. But I don't really want my story to become history. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's, I'm kind of scared about it. So you see it as a warning? A warning in my little way. This is the first time for me. Never written anything like this before. My debut novel. You know, uh, maybe if it gets too noticed, that means bad things are really happening. <laughs> I don't know. You've mentioned your wife, Kathy, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, how, how has she supported you in your writing journey? Can you share any memorable moments from um, the process of writing? Uh, when I first mentioned, uh, we were at a uh, brewery, a microbrewery up the road, and I said, 
you know, maybe I should tell her, you know, what I'm doing upstairs and on ah. my laptop, <laughs> writing the novel. And she was in, encouraging, you know, and uh, she actually, as the first draft, the first of the first draft came out, you know, I'm printing off the pages and she's giving it an edit with her, her eye. Yeah. And she spotted a number of things. Uh, and uh, that was very helpful. And then she was like, all for it, you know, and, you know, here we go. Let's do it. Yeah. And so, yeah, uh, not a hint of hesitation. Although she says, I, I need to sell a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> so she can retire completely. Tell us about your, your own writing process. Um... It's just do it. You know, that basically comes down to it. Yeah. Um, I just turn on the laptop. Maybe I have an idea in my mind. I start dashing out something. I'll go back later and take a look at it. Sometimes it's like, uh, that's not good. Or I like that, but there's an error here. I need to fix that. Yeah. um, Is there a formal process to this? Do I keep formal hours? No. It just... Just do it when the opportunity strikes. Yeah. That's how I wrote this. And then, you know, it's good to get feedback from other people because you may think you've written something, you know, worthy of a Pulitzer and they're thinking uh, no. And uh, they'll offer you some suggestions. And boy, uh, in my experience, when someone suggests something, pay attention to them. Yeah. Um, that that's a real key point right there, you know. Um, and right now, for example, I'm writing a second novel. Uh-huh. And uh, can you share what that's about? Well, the title will be instead of refuge, it'll be captive. Uh-huh. And um, I guess I like one word titles. Anyway, um, it's about a writer, and uh, he writes a book that makes a lot of people angry. And he starts getting death threats and, you know, the usual social media, you know, kind of insults and stuff. Yeah. But uh, the, the book will open with him suddenly discovering he's waking up in a, in a room. He's gagged, bound on a cot. Mm. And he suddenly realizes he's been kidnapped. And so, but then it shifts to months earlier. <laughs> to a build-up to that event. I have a resolution to it eventually. It's, uh, I'm not going to share that part with you because it'll take all the fun <laughs> out of it. Uh, but uh, it's going to be told in the, in the first person. And so that kind of grew out of the first novel. Always in the back of my paranoid mind that, you know, maybe someone will you know, go after me because, you know, with a bad review or something like that, you know, <laughs> uh, because they don't like my politics, you know, or, oh, well, you know, uh, so, and then I wonder how I'll react, you know, and so I'm kind of playing out that paranoia in this novel, the second one. Yeah. It's a, I hope it, I hope it will turn out to be interesting. So with um, the first book, um, did you share uh, draft copies with readers for feedback? 
before you yeah yes yeah. Yeah, so people i know okay yeah. no one trusts uh, yeah no one trusts people who could give me a, a straightforward opinion without uh just saying oh it's a wonderful thing you know yeah yeah uh you know and so uh of course i'll, I'll admit that the first feedback review i got was oh it's a good book you know, that came from my mom so, uh, <laughs> that's not exactly the most unbiased review but uh if you look on amazon right now i get the best kind of review yeah you've got uh, some great reviews yeah, uh, yeah uh, that was a five-star review and uh the gentleman that i don't know but he is another author and it's like he really enjoyed the book and so uh in then we uh facebooked offline you know in messages yeah kind of with this facebook stuff and uh he gave me some pointers and uh yeah that was just wonderful of uh so uh that's the kind of thing. I'd, but in the process of writing it, I depended on friends and family. And uh, I was hoping that would be enough. And of course, you know, my own critical eye. So this being your first book, and mm. what, what would you say um, the best bit of writing advice you've ever received? The best bit of writing advice I ever received might be just to do it and at some point be done with it. Yeah. Um, you know, I work with, I work with a, a publisher, you know, they, you give them their, you send electronically your manuscript, they put it all together and you go through this correction process and, um, Basically, they prefer you just had one shot at any things they're going to correct. And uh, but they keep having authors that will go through a second round, third round, fourth round, and it just never ends. Yeah, yeah. it's like a, at some point, damn it, you just got to just say enough. That's it. I'm done. Yeah, yeah. You know, move on to the next project. Get this thing done. So I think start and finish might be too big hurdles that you have to overcome you start just by writing whatever pops into mind and then throw it out keep it modify it and just keep doing that a little bit if uh, i think the worst thing you can do is probably just sit down and think you're going to work eight hours writing uh, no it's not how it works at least in my experience and i think stephen king even backs me up on that <laughs> so you work a few hours and then, okay Put it to rest. Move on. Yeah, it's it's quite an individual thing. Um, some some people say yeah, they're going to leap out of bed at six a.m. and hop into it. Other people. Um, I, I was watching an interview. I don't know if you've heard of a musician called Nick Cave, but he's a a writer, screenwriter. He's just written yeah. a book. But he he. Uh, he actually has an office like away from home and he he get, he works nine to five from his office. That's it. So yeah. he goes to the office, he writes songs, writes books, all, all the things he does, has lunch, comes home at five to his family and then just puts all that aside. And yeah. That's another way of doing it. So there's, there's yeah, no, he's got a routine. Yeah. You know, it works for him. Yeah, treats and, it like a job. 
I, I'm retired. I don't really treat it like a job. I just, just have fun, you know, and that's the fun. Key. Yeah. Just developing this part of a chapter, this little scene, uh, this little turn of phrase, or just researching some of the technical aspects. Yeah. Uh, you know, making sure that, you know, uh, there's, if I'm using a military acronym, I know what the hell I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, and then trying to express it in a way that a reader could figure out what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, it's little bits. Uh, I found it easier if I kept a little to-do list and, okay, got to do this, got to do that, got to do this. And I've gone, if I've gone through a to-do list, that's a good day. And, uh, you know, just relax and then, then something else will come up in the evening and I'll, I would dash up here and start adding something and that could be five minutes or it could be 50 minutes or it could be three hours. It just depend, you know, on what I hit upon. So what, what advice would you give for anybody wanting, wanting to write a book for the first time? Uh, boy, uh, think about the story. Uh, what do you want to say in the story? Basically, sort of, if you could come up with, you know, like in a paragraph, what is this going to be about? Even if it's a paragraph only written in your mind. And um, don't think from that, you have to outline every single chapter to the end and stick to that rigidly. Uh, have fun with it. Change things along the way. Uh, there's a moment in, in my novel where I had a character and then something happened to him and it was at that moment I'm typing what's happening to him I decided his fate and right I didn't have a plan for that I just did it and then I developed <laughs> it to, to go from there and it seemed to work so I don't want to give a spoiler on that but uh <laughs> Yeah. I suppose we'll have to read the book. David, that's... Yes, that's been, the whole idea, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's been great talking to you. It's a good place to wrap it up. Um, where can yeah. people buy a copy of Refuge? Well, for people in Australia, uh, it's available as a Kindle uh, through Amazon. Yep. You know, or paperback, I think, but maybe Kindle would be more convenient. Fantastic. Well, and <clears throat> you've got a website as well, I noticed. Uh, yes. What's yes. the... What's the address for that? Uh, www.refugedavidsurance, uh, my name, dot com. That's it. And yeah. all, all things David Surance right there. David, it's been great talking yeah. to you. So um, thanks for coming on the podcast and good luck with the book. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jeff. This is a, this is a wonderful thing. I got I to say that too that... When I lived in Germany, it was like having radio communication. When I was talking to someone in the States, you'd have to almost say over because the telecommunication was kind of primitive relatively back then. This is amazing. I can talk to someone across the world in like your next door. It's like magic. It never ceases to amaze me. It, it's magic. It, it's all magic. It's been great talking to you. Great talking to you.
that was David R. Shorens. You can check out his author's website at refugedavidshorens.com for more information about the book and where to buy it. Do yourself a favour, it's a great read. Are you thinking of publishing a book but don't know where to start? The experts at Madhouse Media Publishing can take care of it all. Editing, cover design, layout for print, on demand and ebook distribution. They can even take care of all your digital marketing book launch requirements. Want to know more? Just schedule an obligation-free chat with the publishing experts at Madhouse Media Publishing. Call them on 1-300-402-526 today. They're nice people. Hey, that's a wrap for this episode of The Writer Show. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Jeff Hughes. Just one last thing, and this is a bit of an announcement for Stitcher users from our friends at Stitcher. Do you use Stitcher to listen to our podcasts and other podcasts? Because um, if you don't know, Stitcher is closing down from August the 29th, 2023. You can still open the Stitcher app after that date, but you'll no longer be able to see your show lists, downloads, preferences, or listening history. So um, for more information on how that affects you, if you use Stitcher, of course, please check out stitcher.com for more information. Um, That's the key date, August 29, 2023. So that's our public service announcement for Stitcher users. Check it out. Thanks for listening. This is the writer show over and out. I love you all. 